We are back in the football shed. It's date night again. Jeff King's here. I'm worried because that guitar is going more and more out of tune the more seasons we do the football shed. And I'm worried that I will never be able to find that sound again. It changes every week. But what happens if, if suddenly someone comes in and tunes the guitar? Well... Me or John aren't going to do it because we can't. Well, it's impossible to replicate. If, if if the shed burns down in a in a sea of hellfire, then we're fucked. But it's out there on Spotify now. You should probably patent it. I should patent it, and sample it. Yeah. Well, I'm using notes that no one's ever heard before. Um, before Jeff gets too carried away <laughs> with seeing how long he can talk about nonsense again for, uh, you are listening to the football shed with Jeff and Rog. John's still away. Um, overseas, our man on the ground. Um, this He's going to be at the Chelsea Palace game this weekend, John. Which is exciting. Yeah. Um, maybe he'll call in and do a recording for us from the game. Uh, this is the Football Shed, minus John. Uh, we're a weekly podcast by three English blokes that live in Melbourne. We record each week in Jeff's Shed, hence the name Football Shed. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, if you like it, give us a review, subscribe to Tell Your Mates. Um, if you don't like it, still tell your mates, <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> uh, if you want to get in contact, you can email us. It's footballshedpodcast at gmail.com or find us on the social medias. You just have to search Football Shed Podcast and we will appear. Now, Jeff. Yes, Roger. I've got a question for you. Oh, by the way, I think that intro was very good. You're getting very good at it. It's a shame that John's back next week because I think, you know... You're doing a good job Practice here makes as, as Anchorman Rog. <laughs> um, all right, so I've got a question for you. Yes. Now, one of the big news items in the week was uh, old mate Lopetengi. Lopetengi! At Madrid, a rather inglorious end to a rather inglorious few months for the man. I've got to say, more than a few months. From two days before the World Cup, he was having a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just continued. <laughs> to get the sack like yeah. the eve of Spain's first game, and then to be the worst Real Madrid manager ever. So, what's your question? It's a pretty shit six months, though, isn't it? <laughs> like, you know, you've gone from being somewhere near the top of the game to now, I, I don't know if anyone will touch him for a while. To yeah, he's, he's just destroyed himself. And, um, and he's a good manager. <laughs> Like he's good at his job. <laughs> I feel pretty bad. It's pretty brutal at Madrid, though. So he only managed to last 139 days at Real Madrid. Wow. Which isn't very long. Um, but there are some shorter managerial stints out there. Uh, what do you think the shortest managerial stint in footballing history is? I know of a manager, I can't remember the chap's name, who lasted less than a day. He got sacked on the day that he signed as a manager. Oh, that's very that's did, very good. Did you hear about this? Uh, well, I don't know. I've got one answer to this question. I, I'm not sure how reputable my sources are, but I've got uh, Leroy Rossigna at Torquay United. Um, so ex-player. I don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. I know him because he's played for Bristol City. But um, So it's sort of seen as the, the holy grail in... Um, you know, football managerial stints. He lasted for 10 minutes at Torquay. He uh, was convinced by the club's owner, who was trying to sell the club. They didn't have a permanent manager at the time. So he asked Leroy Senior if he'd step in as manager, primarily so that he would talk at an upcoming press conference. Now, during that press conference, the owner... Uh, sold the club. This is it. This and is then, exactly the story. Uh, yeah. So the owner Mike 
Batson. Um, so unbeknown to Rossini, while I was in this press conference, the sale was going on, <laughs> and then the new owners had no interest in keeping him on. Uh, so his 10-minute managerial stint came to an end. Now, I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably not going to have the answers. Do you think he got a payout? Uh, no. Because Lopetengi's a rich man now. Yeah, what do you reckon? Did, is it been published? What do you, what do you no, think? but they, if you're going to sack them, they pay out the contract, don't they? Mm. That's why Moyes bloody bought a gold watch or two after the Man United <laughs> deal. <laughs> and I'd say a ginger bloke shouldn't wear gold watches. But it clashes, <laughs> especially when they got freckles. It clashes real bad. <laughs> but, you know, his United payout was pretty good. I reckon Lord Patengi's sitting on a beach somewhere right now, just like licking his career it, it wounds. Soft, soften the blow a bit. Yeah, whilst in the Cayman Islands. Um, so, you were very close there yeah it, it's uh, I'd go I... so far as to say you were right so what, what do you, what do you want um, to talk about can we is, what, who else was on that list for shortest managing okay. uh, stints um, Sam Allardyce was up there at number 5 for which for st- England for England uh, Marco Bielsa is there obviously doing great things for Leeds at the moment but hasn't always been great uh, at Lazio he lasted two days um, he he just he decided the job wasn't for him and so just left. What happens in two days? Uh, who was who was the bloke who just went to Philippines? Uh, um, ah, oh, I'll I'll get back to you. I'll do it. Um, anyway, it's the next player, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Alex McLeish, Nottingham Forest, forty days. Brian Clough, famously, when he remember when he went to Leeds United, uh, who he always called Dirty Leeds, didn't yeah, like them, yeah. didn't work. Uh, the Damned United, very good film. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's included in that. Sam Allardyce. Uh, so he's in there twice, Big Sam. <laughs> no, no, that's he was number five. One which I'll remember from last year, Frank De Boer. Wow. Is it number six? That no, that was a shocker. Yeah. Um, Bob Bradley, old skeleton, <laughs> skeleton, skeleton <laughs> skull in a condom. He'll <laughs> be remembered more for that than his managerial prowess, I think. Uh, Frank De Boer again at Inter Milan. No. Uh, and then we go to Lopetegui. So, so Frank De Boer's in there twice in the top ten. Yeah. Oh come but on. T- twice less than a hundred days. It's pretty bad. That is really bad. Um, I wonder what he's doing now. Maybe he, is he managing? He's, uh, they're all just chilling out on the Cayman Islands. <laughs> they're, they're gold watches and sunburnt, um, bloody lobster skin. Um, so Premier League was was back. Last week, uh, did you watch some games? What did you I, want to I talk did. About? Um, oh, there's, there's actually. Firstly, I, I think we should probably um, acknowledge that it's a bit of a weird week in British football. Um, when you look through the results, lots of lots of good goals, lots of good games, but it feels like, and rightly so, it's been overshadowed by the helicopter accident after the Leicester West Ham game. And as soon as you saw it. Um, as soon as you saw the news, you knew that there was something not not good about that. And watching that unfold this week has been a pretty um, a pretty confronting thing. It was a bit odd because they obviously the crash was announced quite early on, but then nothing else was announced about it in terms of you know people that might have been involved in in the crash or been affected by it. But obviously, a helicopter had crashed, so your immediate reaction is that anybody that was involved in that is going to probably not come out in a very good way if at all um but it just sort of it, it delayed it a bit i just found that found that 
a bit odd. So, yeah, but I, I, I mean, did read something about that. So it, it's not, it's not just a. Obviously, he's not just a. He wasn't just a man who was involved in a football club. He was the richest man in Thailand, and aside from the royal family, and had um, you know, he was the head of his business. So there are certain things that need taken care of as you process someone who's so involved in such a large corporation before they can before announce it, it. it's announced but yeah i mean it's pretty tragic the, there was a uh, the a couple the helicopter pilot and his partner were both in the helicopter which i thought was pretty pretty tragic yeah i wonder they'll probably change things for helicopters but yeah it's you're right it's a sort of somber week and obviously we had the glenn hoddle incident on the same night having a heart attack in the um studios mm. um but it's like he's going to be okay thanks to the work of some of the staff there yeah the sound engineer was the the hero in that Johnny story wasn't it um and any other week that would have been enough to somber the mood in football but i think it's um and i don't want to talk about it too much because i because i know that the you know if if you're connected with leicester football club or if, if you're a fan or if you you're gonna you're gonna have places that you go to to, to gain solace and, that, and that's a good thing However, I feel like the sporting world is appreciative of this man, unlike any other. Yeah, well, it's funny. I like obviously it's a you know it's a tragic accident, and you know it's going to have affected a lot of people and everyone involved in Leicester City Football Club and fans are going to be affected by it. Um, and you're right. I think it's more than that. It's the football football world because of what Leicester under his stewardship have done and because of that being so unusual let's not forget 5,000 to 1 odds Mm. to win the Premier League at the start of the year this very rarely happens in sport Um, but so without wanting to you know um, word this carefully you know without wanting to disrespect you know anything um you know the memory of the people involved and what have you i also think that it will if anything like firm the memory of what's happened with leicester because it was all pretty dramatic anyway then you know nearly getting relegated going on an amazing run winning the premier league no one ever thought it was going to happen and now the architect of that has you know died in a tragic accident like you know i i suppose if you're trying to find a positive in a pretty awful situation I think it's that it was probably never going to be forgotten anyway but this is just like another piece in the most one of the most amazing sporting mm. stories that you're going to have and it's 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 tragedy but I mean it will just sort of you know I think reaffirm the the these last few years for Leicester City as a football club and look football as a whole in my opinion gained something from Leicester winning the league and I say that as an Everton fan. I know that I now, every year, predict that Everton are going to finish in the top four. <laughs> and I now think that Everton have a chance to win the league. And every inch of my body knows that that is such an unlikely event. What am I doing? I'm wasting my time. But then Leicester did it. Yeah. And Leicester did it. 5,000 to 1. Leicester did it when Man City were there. Every, you know, Leicester did it at a time where Spurs were the best Spurs side we've seen. Chelsea were good. I know that the, you know, the tides parted like Moses during their their last ten games. And Arsene Wenger gave them a push. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly right. But I just feel like what it what that did to me as a football fan was gave me hope that 
the hours and time I spend supporting my club might not always end in my own frustration and my own panic. It gives you hope as a football fan, and and especially a club like Leicester, because if you're if you're a club like Leeds United, or if you're a, a club like Sunderland, if you're, you're a club that isn't even in the Premier League yet, like Leicester were when when he bought them, you know that actually this is possible, and I think that's what that story did. I think that's what their achievement did. So personally, I think. And speaking for football fans, I know that it affects you like that. Yeah. So it was a bit of a strange week for football. Um, however, I don't that uh, you know that should overshadow. But this football podcast, we'll talk about the football. Um, I would like to start with Ross Barkley. Okay. Hey, I'm happy to talk about Ross Barkley. Okay. Now, whilst I'm in a mildly sombre mood, I thought I'd bring up all the things that are making me unhappy right now. <laughs> is Ross Barkley being good one of them? Ross Barkley's resurgence as the best player of all time is actually... It hurts. It's like a knife through my chest. In honesty, if the bloke just decided that he was crap and sat on the bench for the next five years, I would not be disappointed. But then there'll be a small part of me who feels like I wasted that time supporting him and telling everyone else that he was the best player in the world. However, Ross Barkley's performance when Chelsea beat Burnley 4-0 this weekend was outstanding. How did I'm just going to go back. We'll talk about his performance, but to go back, how did you feel when he left Everton initially to go to Chelsea? Because at that point, he wasn't necessarily playing... No, it, it ended really badly. So for those who don't know the story, um, Chelsea bid £35 million pounds and it was on the last day of the summer transfer window. Chelsea bid £35 million pounds and Ross Barkley drove That's down right. to London and had a medical. But then Ross Barkley decided to pull out of the deal so that the time wasn't right. He didn't sign the contract. He came back to Everton. He spent six months getting treatment for an injury that he got, which was fine. Chelsea still put the bid in. And then during the Christmas transfer window, Chelsea bought him for £16 million. So there is a feeling that there is something odd going on. So much so that at the time, the mayor of Liverpool yeah, was going to take... Right. Went to the police. <laughs> yeah. Because they were they were claiming that it was fraud. They were claiming that Chelsea convinced him to, look, you're injured, you're not going to play for six months, go back, get treatment, be with your family, come back at Christmas and we'll just pay 20, 20 million less for you and, and everyone will be happy. There's a feeling that that was premeditated. So the way Ross Barkley's Everton career ended was under a complete cloud I'm not sure that's his fault you know footballers don't control those things they well, just... would, the Everton, would, would Everton fans feel any animosity towards him like it, did it end that badly or do you think that they'd be happy to now see him well up? I don't think that um, good question because I think I think it's everyone is divided I don't think that um, Everton fans feel animosity because of that I, I think that the young Everton fans probably do the, the 15 year olds who are who are still struggling to keep their tempers in check might think that that's his fault. <laughs> but but the, the way the mechanics of football works, he doesn't have much control over that. He just doesn't. It's, it's agents, it's medical yeah. staff. It, like he's just he just does what he's told, really. Um, but the last period, the last two thirds of the season that he did play for Everton, he was poor. It was really bad and. I don't think that his heart was in it and I think it was the right time for him to move. I don't think that looking at the Everton midfield right now, I don't think there's a place for him, but I don't think there's a place for the Ross Barkley that left. I think the Ross Barkley that now exists at Chelsea over the last, I know it's only been three, four weeks since he's come back and he's been on form, that Ross Barkley would walk into most teams. 
But the Ross Barkley that left, there wouldn't be a place for him now. And I can't say whether he would be the same player now as he if he had stayed at Everton for that period. So I draw a bit of a line under it. I heard an interview with him this week and I heard his little scout accent and him say the word <laughs> Everton and I thought, oh man. Because there was a sense of pride there when he played for, for the, his boyhood club and I, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but if I take all of my partisan hats off, the kid's good at football and he is he has something that not many other English players have. He can see a pass in a in a way that you can't see at home. He sees that ball. He sees the same type of ball that um that we were we were raving about Ozzel seeing a few yeah. weeks ago. He sees that, but he's also built like a brick shit house. So he sees that ball, but he could hold the ball up. The he's good at he can play a short game, he can play it over the top. His we talked about his pass in the England game, which was a brilliant sand wedge. Absolutely excellent. And then then look at his pass for the first goal in the Chelsea game. The Slide control ball. it with your left foot and then straight away your right foot slides it on the wrong side of the defender for Morata, who can't score at all. <laughs> and yeah, Morata he put Morata so far. Yeah, it was through. like Morata didn't have to think. No, I agree. I I thought that pass was absolutely brilliant. It was you know, it was well, you're right, we raved about Ozil's pass and I think that that was equally as good particularly because it was done at speed as well so he was running with the ball and was then able to play the ball at just the right pace so. yeah I, I think um, I think it was excellent and you know Morata before that goal had had 81 minutes worth of football and 7 shots none of which were on target yeah it doesn't surprise can me can I just remind you that Morata cost £58 million pounds. He hasn't. He just hasn't done it. I mean, I, like we've talked about Chelsea, and I think you know, you'd, I, I, the more I see Chelsea at the moment, the more impressed I am with with Sarri. Um, I think he's. I mean, we talk about Barkley, um, and but like his got Barkley's goal was great as well. Um, but Chelsea look like they're enjoying themselves, and I think Sarri has to take a lot of credit for that Loftus Cheek hat trick in the Champions League, and then he also came on at the weekend after half an hour for my mate Pedro, and was brilliant. So he's got Barkley and Loftus Cheek playing really well. I, 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 you know, I'm really, really impressed. I think the only thing that's holding them back is effectively Morata. Absolutely, they, they don't have someone up front to <laughs> score the goals. Don't so. and G Rod bloody he's. As we said during the World Cup, he's the basketball people, backboard, yeah, isn't people he? People love him for not scoring. That's but... exactly right. He'll start every game for not scoring, and fair enough. But as long as there's someone better than Morata running onto him, I think um, I, I think Chelsea look good for their buck right now, and Willian looks amazing. It was Loftus Cheek's goal was a bit shonky, but that Chelsea squad look great. They look like they know what they're doing. They dominate possession every game. They dominate passing every game. And when they do that and win four nil. You've got to give them some respect. Yeah, and when you've got you know players that were perhaps on the fringe of things like Barkley and Loftus Cheek, you know that are able to come in, and I mean, this is, I think I know it's a small sample size, like you said, it's only the last few weeks, but it's sort of like the the best Barkley's looked since we all got really excited when he came on the scene, and and that you have to give that credit to the manager to me, and he's he's had so little time with the players that you would imagine that they're only going to improve. I, I absolutely agree. I actually think that the the only time it's going to be like a football hipster moment. The only time I've ever seen Barkley play as well as this was a single game against QPR <laughs> on, when Royston Drenthe was playing for Everton and Ross Barkley ran the show. And that's when you look at him and you go, "You can do this. Mm. Like, you got this. You can be that kind of player." He can do everything. Yeah. Absolutely right. And he's moved to Chelsea the same age Frank Lampard moved to Chelsea from West Ham. 
So if he's, he plays in the same position, he's got the same number. So, you know, there is there is form for moving to Chelsea at that age to get that kind of upbringing to, to do a very good job. Um, it's a neat segue to Frank Lampard, actually, because I wanted to touch on Derby and also... Uh, oh God, praise Chelsea again. But um, the I watched Derby and Middlesbrough at the weekend. Oh yeah. Um, so that was the early game. On there was no early Premier League game on Saturday, but there was an early Championship game again. I actually so was, hear that game was a shambles. Uh, well, I, I watched the first half. Now the first half, Derby were absolutely brilliant. Some of the football they played was some of the best football I've seen in the Championship probably since Wolves last year mm. but then that was the best football for a long long time yeah. like the I, I mean I, I was a bit unsure about Lampard the manager but yeah the football that some of the football that Derby played was really really good like their goal in the end was was an own goal it was a bit of a shambles but the um, the build up play that led to it mm. was really you know good one two touch passing you know whole team involved keep the ball I think you know for the first um so what was it for the first sort of seven minutes of the game I think uh, Derby were in possession for over six minutes of, of that time or something wow like, you know, okay the Middlesbrough just didn't touch the ball in the end it was classic Tony Pullis solid at the back only conceded one goal even when Derby were really on top yeah and then got a draw but I thought Derby looked really good and the other thing with that was that um, Mason Mount who's on loan from Chelsea mm. um, looked really really good so he got an England call up in the last squad um, but I was really impressed with him like I think we'll see we'll see more of him but the other thing that I was impressed with Chelsea about is uh, Chelsea and Derby are actually going to be playing in the next round of the Carabao Cup and Chelsea have said that Mason Mount and uh, Ficayo Tom, Tomorito, the <laughs> Kale Tomorito, trying to say his name right, who is another uh, Chelsea player on loan at Derby, are both going to be able to play against their parent club. Do they have the right to do that, or is that a football league rule? No, no, it's just up to the parent club. So it's unusual because most parent clubs just say, well, no, you can have this guy on loan, but you're not Yeah, you can't play against us. Yeah. So they've sort of given special... I don't... They've, they've just said, yeah, they can play in the game. Wow. Um... Which I because the the rationale that Chelsea have given is that they see these two players as you know players for the future at Chelsea Football Club and they want them to be able to play in bigger games, um, which I I actually quite like. Mm. But I mean, the, Chelsea get a lot of stick for buying all these youngsters and then uh, you know they their career stalls and they end up you know going somewhere else. But at the same time, I mean, if they get a good manager in and they stick with Sarri, I like the fact that some of these younger English players are getting a go in Barkley and Loftus-Cheek. I, I, I hope that they continue to do so. And, you know, seeing some of these other Chelsea players on loan kicking on, like it, they've got so many of these players on loan that, you, get, you know, you're going to get some, some diamonds out there in the end. Like it's, you know, um, it's a good strategy. Sarri went to a, an Indian wedding once. <laughs> Oh God. <laughs> and uh, this bloke just saw him and pointed and went, hey, look, a, a Sari. <laughs> right. See what I did there? Yeah, Sa- I did. Sari. Um, Sari. 
But yeah, so I, I, that's probably enough about Chelsea. But I, yeah, I agree. I was really excited to see Barry doing well. No, let's move off, sorry. <laughs> um, can we? So I, when we we touched on Leicester from a non-footballing perspective, but I I wanted to touch on that game. Really, uh, I thought that was a bit of a dirge game. It was a dirge game. Um, I just think that uh, it is a dirge game, but it's it's almost like a, a microcosm of football, right? And I, I, let me let me try and win you rounds to this game. Okay. okay. Did you watch it? Uh, yeah, yeah. I didn't watch it live. But I've I've seen the game. Um, now, West Ham are one 0 up. Mark Noble sent off. So West Ham know that they have uh, sixty minutes to get through this game of football. So they shut up shop, and they shut up shop so blatantly and desperately that this this game becomes uh, a. a a dirge fest. Can I say dirge fest? <laughs> yeah, you can say dirge But they shut up shop against a team that's set up to counter-attack. So what happens? Am I selling you this game of football? No. Well, what happens, Roger? What happens when that happens? If your team that is set up to counter-attack faces a team that does not attack, you, you have, like, it's the immovable object versus the unstoppable It's a little bit of a stalemate. Of course, it's a stalemate. And the fact that on the 89th minute it was settled with a looping deflected <laughs> yeah. shot from about 35 yards is exactly the way this game should have ended. Yeah, okay. And I like it. There's some symmetry in that. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. So West Ham did a fantastic job at not attacking a team that only counterattacks. I think that's perfect. It takes a lot of courage. I think it's perfect. It's strategic football. However, but it didn't work. It didn't work because the beauty of football is someone who you've never heard of can take a pot shot from 35 yards <laughs> it can spoon off another player and loop into the top corner and everyone looks silly you always need that second goal so I just wanted to highlight that as a microcosm of, of modern football um, I on another slightly what could be on the surface of it a boring game um, I know you wanted to talk about Wolves and I want to talk about Brighton oh, okay good so um, that was Brighton's third win in a row third, yeah. third 1-0 um, I don't think that I think Chris Hewton is a really good manager that doesn't necessarily get the credit that he deserves. I know it's one of the reasons why uh, John dislikes Eddie Howe so much because he thinks that you know Eddie Howe's image is such that perhaps he gets more credit because he's you know this white middle class pretty boy um, who perhaps gets managed you know managerial credit for that because you know he's a He's a media darling, if you like. Whereas some of these other managers that aren't don't have such a good media persona, maybe don't get the credit. And I think Chris Hutton is one of those quite a softly spoken guy. Um, and Brighton do not have great resources as a football club. They stayed up last year. They've now won three in a row, and they're sitting in mid table. And they're not looking like a team that's going to go down. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And I mean, they look great defensively. Um, and he, you know, he gets that right first. But the other thing I wanted to touch on with them was Glenn Murray. So effectively, what Brighton do is defend really well, and then they have a goal scorer. Now, Glenn Murray might be his mid 30s, he's not that quick, he's not that skillful. But he scores goals. That was his great hundredth goal, goal for for Brighton. He just knows in and around the box. 
you know, he just knows what to do. It's instinctive and he'll get you goals. And I think Brighton will stay up because they defend well and they have Glenn Murray. Now, you compare that with Southampton. Now, Southampton drew 0-0 with Newcastle. I don't know if you've seen the highlights from this game. The last minute, Shane Long has a brilliant chance to win the game. Absolutely spanners mm. it, as only Shane Long... <laughs> I, did, that, I did laugh. <laughs> averaging 0.18 goals <laughs> per game in his career. Uh, I just... To, to me, that highlights how important it is having that that goal scorer and someone mm. like a Glenn Murray. Because, I mean, Southampton, would have, if they would have had Glenn Murray, they would have won that game and all of a sudden, you know, they move away from the relegation zone a bit. And so I think... I And I wonder sometimes whether, you know, Premier League teams should be looking more to the Championship or being a bit more trying to creative trying to find these players. You know, because Glenn Murray's not that glamorous, but... He's so good at what he does, and there are other players out there that I reckon could do something similar. Yeah, like your Troy Deanies, the the that type of player. Now, I think um, can we go back to the beginning of, of what you said about Hutton versus versus Eddie Howe? Mm. Now, when you said Hutton is a defensive manager, I'll, I'll try and try and give some insight into the way Chris Hutton manages football teams. Um, he sets defensive traps. So if you if, if you yeah like, we talked about this in the yeah, um, Brighton maybe, Man United maybe, game maybe um yeah or well, maybe it was last year but he sets he sets traps up so that uh, he will let opponents have the ball he'll let certain players on opposing teams have the ball until a certain point on the pitch or until they pass to a certain player and he will set a trap for one of his attacking players or one of his stri- one of his strikers to press during a certain situation were to force them into only having a few options to release that ball. Now, when they only have a few options to release that ball, part of the trap is a secondary attacking player for Hutton's side attacking that pass to put pressure on it. What Glenn Murray does is he's that second phase of the def- of the defensive traps that Brighton play. So he has space because of that. Now, when you look at... um. Uh, teams like Southampton who don't do that, Newcastle who don't do that, Southampton, I can't even tell you how they play football, I'm not even going to try because it, it goes, it washes over me. And I, and I hope that by the time January or February come around, I can sit here and I can talk about Southampton with with as much kind of background. But the If problem, Mark Hughes is still there, I don't think he'll be able to because yeah, he's not a very good manager. They are grey wallpaper as far as I'm concerned and they might as well be in a hospital. Um, but Newcastle United, let's use it because you can understand the way Newcastle play. They play in phases, so they're they're back for uh, pass it forward to their midfield. They move up in chunks. They move up in a unit, trying to get wide players to cross the ball to cut it back to central players. That's that's how Benitez has always played. That's how his Liverpool teams play. That's how Newcastle are set up. Very different to the way Brighton set traps. So going back to to Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe doesn't do either of those things. Eddie Howe tries to play a type of football that originally his team weren't good enough to play. But credit to him, and if John was here, he'd be rinse me for it. He has trained those players over the years to do the things that he requires of footballers. And remember, it was something. What was it? The, the stat a few weeks, something like like eight of his first team came up from the championship with him, and that yeah. was this year. Those players weren't as good as they were in the championship. They have been coached. Eddie Howe is a very good coach. 
Now I'm not oh, sure. to see John's facial expression. No, 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 I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm not an Eddie Howe hater in the same degree that I think you've jumped on the Eddie Howe hate bandwagon with John. Like, I think he is a good manager, but what I'm uh, a good coach, and I agree, some of those players who you might think as being fairly limited and go elsewhere, and they would be, are playing very well for Bournemouth. But I suppose what I'm saying is, I also think it, Chris Hutton is a very good manager, and he doesn't necessarily get the same amount of credit that. I, I, I absolutely agree, and I think I think Eddie Howell is is lauded as this bloke who is the future of English football. He's young. He's got soft Tory rosy cheeks. Like, <laughs> That's he's such fucking, a good description. Like he's that bloke, isn't he? He's a fluffy haired ponce, and and I and I and I mean that in the nice. In fact, I don't like. He's that kind of guy. He's um, ugh. He might as well play. He's the kind of guy that your your nan would like to have a cup of tea with or something, but then Definitely. he'd give you the finger over a shoulder or something. Yeah, whilst he talks about like how he hates increased council tax because screw him and he has his London property and like just get rid of him. Like yeah. I, I, he's that kind of bloke, which means he's instantly dislikable, but very very comfortable on television and very very comfortable. He has this public image that people want to present. Chris Hutton's not. He's not that bloke. Chris Hutton is a is a has a common type of language which can associate with all types of players it's not quite as stand up BBC yeah he's like a, a, a footballer's footballer he's a normal bloke yeah and and but you knew that there was I'm not going to say there's an agenda because I don't I want to don't call it anything but you knew there was something wrong when he was at Newcastle United and Newcastle for those who, who weren't into the Premier League at that time when Newcastle United got relegated to the Championship not last time the time before and Chris Hutton took charge Chris Hutton got them up and they were the best team in the championship. They were amazing. They signed no new players. This is the year that Alan Shearer took them down. You remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris Hutton was brilliant. As soon as they got promoted, he got the boot. They gave it to someone else. I can't remember who they gave it to. It was someone... Oh, maybe Sam it was Pardew. It was one of them, wasn't it? Was it Pardew? I think it might have been Big Sam. Anyway, it, yeah, it, it, was, was, it was a complete disgrace. Yeah. And he deserved more. And you knew there was something going on. Like, why is it that this bloke is not getting the chance he obviously just earned? And the fact that he is Brighton manager, and he's got Brighton up, and Brighton are still in the Premier League, and Brighton have just come off three wins on the bounce, looking solid. The bloke needs more credit. He does. And I'm not going to... I don't want to A-B him and go, he's better than Eddie Howe. I think they're very different types of managers. Yeah. Eddie Howe is a very good coach and he obviously gets the best out of his players. But because of that, I'm not sure that Eddie Howe is suited to a top team. You don't need to get the best out of top players. You need to be able to set traps. You need to be able to be organised, structured. You need to be able to understand how an opponent works and how to beat that opponent. What Eddie Howe's good at is taking shitter players and making them better. You, you can't make Ronaldo better. He's better than you. He's better than Eddie Howe. Like he's better than Eddie Howe's opinions. Yeah. What you can do is tell Ronaldo where to stand to make the most out of the opposition that you've spent your week studying. I think Chris Hutton's better at that. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I, yeah, I agree. And he's, you know, I think uh, the two centre backs, Lewis Dunk. Um, I forget who's the other centre back. They just, but they're, you know, they. I love the fact that they're. He makes them difficult to beat, but they've got enough, you know, creativity. To win enough games that they'll they'll stay up. And last year, I don't think they necessarily got the credit they deserve for staying up either. Because I mean, Huddersfield also stayed up, and um, what's his name, Klopp's acolyte at um, Huddersfield, yeah, uh, you know, got a lot of credit for keeping them up. 
Um, we followed that a bit because Moy was there, and maybe Brighton, you know, sort of went under the radar a bit. But they don't have the resources of a lot of these big clubs, and you know, even of some of the the, the clubs that they're fighting. You know, Fulham spent a hundred million this you know this this season. What, what, what Fulham need is two centre backs who can defend. Yeah, I I haven't got a fucking clue what's going on with Fulham. Well, I mean, I think well, the biggest thing is I don't think Yukanovic knows what his um, best team is. Like, is I think he's tried something like twenty-four different um, starting. No, he can't have twenty. Like, it's just this the amount of variations that he's tried. Something like twenty-four different teams within the games that they've played so far wow. this season. So, in terms of you know uh, formations, yeah, or of course, starting, yeah, yeah. changing at half time, he clearly just doesn't know what his best team is and, and particularly defensively that just doesn't work I, they were so exciting in the championship last year I was so happy that they won the playoff against Aston Villa I, I would have hated Aston Villa to come straight up I think they deserve what they got yeah, agree. they stunk out the league for too many years sorry Villa fans but <laughs> <laughs> but you need a reset like unfortunately your plane has to crash before you build a new one <laughs> you yeah, can't just fix yeah. it on the way down um, but I, I, I just I was so excited and now I watch him and I look at it and a player that's disappointed me is Sessignon. Well, but I, I think they've signed too many players. I think it's a classic case of like getting excited about coming into the Premier League. And I mean, I, I you know, we were, all, we, took, we were excited about Fulham at the start of the year. But um, I think with Sessignon, again, the main thing is he's had no continuity. He's been played at left back. He's been played at left wing back. He's been played left attacking midfield you know we're only 10 games into the season he's already had to play three <laughs> different positions I know he can do that and he's got that flexibility no, but that's not how you turn losing into winning no and I think as a young player you know it is a step up still in the Premier League and there's a bit of pressure on him the way that you alleviate that pressure is being able to get them to focus on what their role is in the team and that is much more difficult when you're being asked to fulfil a different role each week because mm. you can't just concentrate because you've got to adapt to a new position again but, but you know I, I think and this is this is going to sound like a real football cheesy cliche and I'm really sorry to, <laughs> to jump on any kind of bandwagon but there is a point where you're on in bad form that you should stop trying to win you should just try to not lose yeah okay and Fulham need to try and not get beat that's all they need to try right now they need to try and get a result that you need to try to not concede seven goals, not concede four goals, not concede three goals. They just need to try and not lose. And then they can build. Right now, they're trying, as you say, 24 different variations to win. Yeah. They don't need a winning formula. They need to not get beaten. No, I, I agree. And I think, um, you know, the I they need a... They, they haven't tried to do that and they've got enough attacking players that if they tried to do that, they could win the game. If that was their focus, was let's just defend. But I think that has to come back to the manager and you question, can he do that? Because course, surely yeah. he would have already done that. So I, I have a feeling he might be um, might be on his way out. We, we slid past Wolves. And I don't want to ba- um, bang on too much about last week's Premier League because there's some exciting games coming up. But um, Wolves have just lost two games in a row to Watford and Brighton. We gave Wolves a lot of airtime, a lot of praise during the first five, six games of this of this season. 
not saying that our airtime was worth anything, <laughs> but, but I'm saying that we really kind of waxed lyrical about what they were doing. You know, their unchanged lineup and their, they've taken it by storm. They're now sitting underneath Everton with the worst goal difference. Well, this is their first little speed bump. But those two teams are teams that you would expect them to do better against. Yeah, I mean, they against Brighton, they had a hell of a lot of the, the ball. I mean, they're, they're playing in their way. They will always and, have a hell of a lot of the ball. Uh, uh, but I, and they they had a, they didn't necessarily have a huge amount of clear-cut chances, but they had a lot of situations against Brighton. Um, Brighton didn't create a huge amount. They were just solid at the back. Uh, you know, Brighton's um, three best players were the two centre-backs and the goalkeeper. So that probably tells you something about the game. Like Matt Ryan in goal for Brighton had a really good game. He did, like, he did. He's a good shot stopper. Um, he reminds me a bit of a, like a young Shea Given. Like he's not massive, but he, he's a really good shot stopper. But I, I mean, Wolves should have got something from that game. So I, I wouldn't... I don't necessarily think we were wrong to wax lyrical about Wolves. Let's forget that... Not forget they've only just come up from the Championship... Um, I think they're a good footballing side and I think but the the question will be if they get found out because they only really have one way of playing so have they got good enough players they can keep doing that and still be successful or if teams find them out will they then start to struggle I think that will be what we'll sort of see in, in this next, yeah, the, next bit of the season with their lack of um Variation in their starting lineup. The Christmas period is going to be key for them. Yeah. The fact that they've started, got what four four games in nine days or whatever it is, they're going to know whether their their backup players are any good. Now, I've not seen the Christmas fixtures, but I think that will be telling to their season. Um, did you see Fat Jerry's goal for Watford? Yeah, oh, it's very good. Excellent. I thought his goal, goal was better than um, Pereira's. There's been a lot of talk about um, Pereira's. He's having a great season. Yeah, yeah. Um, his goal was good. But the defending was awful. Like, he just waltzed through about six players. Agree. agree uh, whereas yeah. I think Fat Jerry's, he kind of went round a couple and then it was also a really good finish. He, it he was, looked quite lean, too. He did. He's lost, <laughs> lost weight, yeah. He went round two and then he got round the second player by just dinking it past him and running. I mean, the keeper probably should have done better, but I'm, I'm nitpicking here. It was an excellent goal. It's, um, and this is the difference, right? So when I talk about Fat Jerry scoring, I smile. You can hear it. I'm smiling. When I look at Ross Barkley scoring, I'm like, ah, <laughs> it, it pains me. Why, why, does pains that, me. why does it pain you more to see Ross Barkley? Because you had more love for him than Because I'd Jerry. invested so much of my time and emotion in, in that kid being good. Fat Jerry was a was a, a Christmas present. Fly by night. Yeah, Christmas yeah. present from Barcelona that eventually stands. you'd have to give back. It was like, <laughs> like going to a, a blockbuster and renting a movie. Like it might be exciting, but eventually you'll have to go back, and and that was fine. And actually, the point where we signed him permanently was the point where he stopped performing. So I I didn't have so much emotion invested in in Fat Jerry, but I I started you know being a believer in Ross Barkley just after he came back from his first double leg break as a fifteen year old. Yeah. So it stings, man. <laughs> Gets me. Um. One, just while we're on last week's games, I also wanted to. There's, there's a uh, to me, there's a bit of a myth in the Premier League this year, which is that Mo Salah's not playing very well. From watching him play, I think he's been playing very well. He just hasn't been scoring as many goals as he had last year. The criticism I had of him when he came to Liverpool was that he, 
you know, he missed a lot of chances. He did that when he was at when he was at Roma and was very successful at Roma. He's not a natural goal scorer, but his all round game is brilliant. And I think his all round game this year has been equally as brilliant. But everyone in the media is sort of saying, "Oh, you know, yeah, he's he's now now he's finding some form." But yeah, um, Champions League last week seems like a long time ago now. He scored his fiftieth goal for Liverpool in sixty five games. That's a pretty unreal. Sorry, goal. fifty in sixty-five. Yeah, from midfield, effectively. That's a pretty unreal goal-scoring record for somebody that's not. That's pretty outrageous. Not, not isn't it? Yeah. So I um no I, I mean and again at the weekend Liverpool looked really good. Same. It's the same narrative them. that are saying that Liverpool aren't playing well, playing haven't well. started well, yeah. or Spurs haven't started well. <laughs> it's the same nonsense. Like of course they have. Look at the table. It, it's their joint top. They're just behind a goal difference. Of course, they're playing well. Again, it's the balance. They're just playing well at the back, and you invest more in that. I still, I don't know. I lately though, I've been getting convinced by your. Maybe it's because you keep hanging <laughs> on with the same narrative every week. With just that, I've said two horse race all season, whereas you've basically said Man City is still doesn't matter. Be too good. Yeah. And they are bloody good at football. We waste every Wednesday night of our life <laughs> talking about talking about football when all that matters is Man City going to win the league. Um, whilst you go back to the Champions League last week, I know it was a long time ago. You see Danny Welbeck scored? Uh, I have no memory of that, but it wouldn't have been in the Champions League. It would have been oh, in the Europa sorry, League. Sorry, Europa League. Oh, you see so Danny Welbeck scored for Arsenal. Yeah, okay. They um, won 1-0, didn't they? They won 1-0, Danny Welbeck scored. Okay. Of course, no recollection of it because it's Danny Welbeck, yeah. right? However, this season, Danny Welbeck has played for 467 minutes for Arsenal and scored five goals. Now, just guess which player I'm going to reel off for the second half of this analogy. <laughs> Romelu Lukaku has played 1,103 minutes. So that's over double the minutes. And scored four goals. And moved... From Manchester United five to meter, Arsenal. And moved five metres. Yeah, he's not lost weight with his running, has he, <laughs> Romelu? Uh, moving off the Premier League, I didn't want to talk about the A-League too much. I know you watched the, the game at the weekend, but um, we talked a bit about VAR last week, and I know it's one of your um, pet subjects. You love love a VAR chat. So I did. I you messaged me during the game uh, that you were, I think you were watching it live and you said, "Oh, Rog, there's some good VAR during the Sydney during Derby." The Sydney Derby. You got to got to have a look at this. There's some some good VAR chat going <laughs> some, on. Some classic some VAR. Classic, classic VAR. It's becoming like a tagline for the A League season so far. I think they need to to get it right. Anyone think this is the first season they introduced it? But um, I watched this. Now, we, I'm, you know I don't like VAR, but I've actually been more annoyed with the media commentary around this than the, um, the incident itself. Like, Bozza had another tantrum, you know, it's been... Uh, who's the lady that you really like on... Lucy Zelich. Lucy Zelich. By the way, if she listens, I love you, Lucy. <laughs> she's, she's come, she came out and said she thinks it should be... Anything um, Lucy says is true. You know, at least... Uh, the implementation should be postponed until they've got things right. Now, I think this was exactly the same as the incident with Melbourne City and, and um, Victory the week before, in that VAR did its job, but the interpretation was wrong. So let me and just the, and the way that it was communicated was wrong. Bearing in mind that 
not everyone in the world watches the True. Sydney derby. All right, were you um, the 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 incident was uh, goal was scored for Sydney FC were two 0 up. Um, Western Sydney Wanderers broke. It was a breakaway through ball behind the behind the defence. Crossed goal, good goal. That a minute later, it went to a review, and the review caught an off the ball incident where a Western Sydney player supposedly blocked off a Sydney defender, which created the space for the player that ran onto the through ball. Now, I can't believe this was picked up. This is nitpicking. This is, it's, I, okay. Well, no, but here's the thing, right? Go on. I don't think it was a foul. I don't think it was a foul either. But apparently what came out later on was that the decision wasn't given because it was a foul. The reason the goal was chalked off was because the player was in an offside position when the ball was played and he was interfering with play by shepherding the defender out of the way. Now, if he was offside, I agree with that decision because he is definitely interfering with play because he's he's blocking the guy. Like, it's still... It's still a little oh, bit so te- te- tenuous. It is. Well, this is why I have issues with VAR. But technically, it's the right decision because even though it doesn't have to be a foul for him to be interfering with play, and I think you could mount the argument that by by making contact with the player and standing there and coming from an offside position when the ball was played, he's interfering. Therefore, it's offside and it should be a free kick and the goal should be disallowed. This, this pains me because I, I'm a big VAR fan. I think that VAR... The sooner we embrace it globally, the better our world will get. Oh God! And I, th- I think that's it. Just has to be the case. What we we got to get it right then. Well, this but that, if that we... was the decision, that should have been on a big screen explained. It to was. Everyone. It was on a big screen. But it... that. But that. Re- no, that reasoning of why it's it was disallowed it yeah, didn't you come right. out until hours after yeah, the game. You are correct. However, the only way that we're going to get this right is if we embrace it all over the place and if we get these, if we iron these crinkles out. That is the only way it's going to it's going to be right. Um, Maybe the A League's the right footballing backwater to be like the the test case. Well, it's for been the a world. test case, but this is its. <laughs> it started in the last few games of season, not last year, the year before. So this is the third season that it's been operational. I think uh, perhaps it also shows we criticised it before the World Cup and it got better. And at the World Cup it got better very quickly. Now, I still have issues with it, but it did get better very quickly. So maybe what that says is where you have a better quality of referee, the system can work better more quickly. Whereas in the A-League, you know, the referees aren't to the same standard. So it, it, it takes a lot longer to get it right. Yeah, and also there is a big pile of, of who gives a shit. Right, if this was in the Premier League True. and that decision happened, the world would give a shit. Well, 196 countries watch the Premier League. I mean, the A League is streamed in Australia and on like the fourth sports channel in southern India. So no one really cares. So they're not investing. But in the World Cup, after a few funky decisions, it was fixed because people gave a shit. So this was a public embarrassment and it got a lot better. Referees got retrained. That's not happening right now. Some of the referees in the A-League are still not professional. Yeah. So so it's if when this is adopted globally, it will improve. So I, I just think that um, that we just have to get on board because it's not going anywhere. As I tell you, it's like putting toothpaste back in the toothpaste tube. Once it's out, it's out. 
No, it's I, gone. I, I agree. And I, I mean, I don't like it, but I definitely agree with you. But I just think you can't introduce something until it works properly. But you can't make something work properly that's brand new until it's introduced and tried. It's just impossible. So it's, it's, it's No, but you can do a much better job than they've done with it. So are you gonna you're gonna play a season behind closed doors no, that doesn't no, matter you're not, to anyone. But you could have thought a lot more about a, a lot of these things before you implement it in Roger, real games. You've got to be on board with positive change, man. You can't just be all about the negatives and why it doesn't work. You have to be on board with positive change or get off the train. I'm too old for that. Get off the train, well, let, Roger. Let's look to the future then <laughs> and see what games we've got on next weekend is there anything that excites you next weekend um, I'd like to think that Chris Hewton's uh, reign comes to an end if he gets Everton but I'm certainly not putting my money on it um, I, I think Everton will win that game because I think Brighton have been a little bit lucky whilst they've, they've been good and solid they won three games in a row um, Everton have lost two games in a row or three three games no. Everton were on a three-game winning streak oh, three and they just streak. lost okay. against but, and, and I think they're a little bit unlucky. So I, I, I back Everton in for that one. Yeah, the penalty decision in that Everton-Man United game, I'm not going to bang on about it, but it wasn't a penalty for Man United. That is a factor-rooney. No, I, uh, one of my pet hates is the two motions and Martial and uh, Wilf. I don't have a reputation for it, Zaha. <laughs> Did exactly the same. I think Wilfs may have been a penalty, but Cap- I'm going to go way off topic here. I think in that case, Wilfred Zaha, and perhaps with the Martial one as well, because maybe it could have been a penalty, but I think they both should have been given cards, but potentially a penalty still being given. Because to me... There was a, the- there was a challenge and a dive. Yes, they both... And, and I... And that has to be stamped out. And it's when you see the double motion. Yeah. I, you just, it's you can tell straight. And surely the referees see that. But to me, that you need to give the right decision. If it is a penalty, if it's a foul, it's a penalty. But if the player's dived, that's also cheating. They should be given a card. I agree. I absolutely agree with you. I, 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 I don't. I think those two incidents were different because if you see the one camera angle from behind the goal. Guai got the ball. Yeah, he did. You're like right. it, that's, and what else do you do as a defender? If you think that my leg is half a metre to get away from the ball and my leg is two-thirds of a metre long, I can get there and you do it. And then you're right, the double motion goes and someone just tumbles over. What do you do? What are you meant to do? I wouldn't have given a penalty. Well, good. I wish you were bloody referee <laughs> in that game. It would have changed everything. Um, what else have we got next week? Uh, what do you think? You think we're not Arsenal-Liverpool? I'm looking forward to the game, and it might be with the time difference. There, what's? Uh, oh no, it'll be terrible. Um, but I think there'll be goals. <laughs> Top quality football punditry, right? Uh, well, I mean, having said that, it'll probably end up being the the big games recently have all been a bit of damp squibs. But I think that there could be goals in that one. I think that you know, whilst we've um, been very positive about Arsenal in recent weeks. I think that Liverpool are a class above Arsenal and I think Liverpool will go there and win that game. Part of me, and I'm going to... I hate saying this and I hate admitting this, but part of me wants Liverpool to win that game because as soon as Man City get three points, their nose is in front, top of the Premier League, 
It's all over. <laughs> it's just all over. What's the point? So I want, I want Liverpool to keep winning. The, the so, inevitable machine. So that there's something to enjoy about football. I, I want it to happen. But at the beginning of, of the... So you'd rather Liverpool won the league than Man City? I'd rather Liverpool were there until the last day. And then lost it on the last day to so, Man City. Do you, do you remember... <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, that would be brilliant. I would absolutely love that. Um, but you remember the, the year that Man City won the league against QPR. They won 3-2... Remember, Joey Barton got sent off. United had won, uh, and Man City won the league by goal difference. Yeah, it was the famous Aguero. Aguero. I know. I remember sitting up and watching that, yeah, and watching same. that unfold on the last night, and I was ecstatic. Yeah, it was so exciting. And I didn't care about either of the teams. And by God, I didn't want Man City to win the league. I didn't want Man. United. I didn't want either of them. To, like for me, the best case scenario would have been just cancel, cancel, cancel. <laughs> but what an exciting thing to live through! I absolutely loved it. So if I, I agree, yeah, I just want a contest this year. Yes, yeah, so at a point in time when when the blueprint machine are leading, I just want anyone to be there for a period to try and put some pressure on to try and have us all enjoy football again. I don't want the Premier League to become what we dislike about uh, competitions like Scotland or Ukraine Spain. or Spain France. or Italy or France. I mean, Monkey France leagues. Or Germany. <laughs> like what we hate about Germany might become the reality in the Premier League. And we would have to swallow a massive pile of humble pie to, to get over that. Because but you say that, but Man City <laughs> haven't gone back to back yet. In the, no one has in the last 10 years in Premier League history. No, so. but... You gotta say the the blueprints are all over this. But I mean, yeah, you look at it now. It's you know, two points separating the top three. If it gets to, the, I'd, I'd take that on the last day. That would I don't know. That, <laughs> if, if it was like that on the last day, Man City would win. That's yeah. the problem. That is absolutely the problem. And do you know when you watch Man City's goals, you see Mares score against uh, who, did, who did Man City beat this week? I don't think he is. They beat Spurs um, on a terrible Wembley pitch that had been trampled by lots of big NFL players. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think he's living up to your flop of the year. Talent. No, he's not. He's, he's actually he's looked quite good. <laughs> doing pretty well. So you see Mares' goal against Spurs. Yeah. What happened? Tell me what happened. Uh, this isn't a quit. I'm not putting you on pressure here. So Raheem Sterling, um, there was a, uh, a header on. Raheem Sterling got in behind Trippier rather too easily. Then he skinned him, got to the byline, cuts it back. Mares scored. It's Cut back goal. Cl- classic Man City right. goal. Yeah. I think that 65% of their goals... In fact, I'm going to divide their goals into two units, okay? 65% and 35%. 65% are cut back goal. Okay. And I'm going to put that in brackets. That's a single... What's thirty five percent individual brilliance? Spadget from distance. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've got. I mean, when you when you I was a bit unsure about Mares no, this year. Bernardino. When you when you, when you add when you add in you know players like Mares and Bernard Silva coming in and playing really well, then what, they're a very good. So, team. so tell me what they do. They Bern, Bernardo, whatever his name is, he spadges it from <laughs> distance, or he's on the end of a cutback. Yeah, Raheem Sterling. Spadges it from distance or he's on the end of the cutback. That's what they do. If they win 4-0 this weekend, it'll be two spadges from distance and two cutbacks. They and we'll um, all just jizz all over it. Sissoko played well <laughs> in this game. Did you see that? That, like, once in a blue moon. You, we talk, Actually, this might be two weeks in a row because we talked about him last week and normally he only turns it on in European finals, but he was Spurs' best player in this I game. I can't believe it. The best thing I think that's happened to me as an Everton fan is not paying £120,000 a week and £30 million to sign to Sissoko. Sissoko. Yeah. He is 
such a clown, and um, and it's it is a telling indictment of of where Spurs are that actually improve coaching and improving Sissoko is Plan B. When they have injuries or, or they need to rest yeah. players, improving a player like Sissoko is, is what they resort to. I, I say well, it's that. a bit odd. They had Eriksson and um, Ali on the bench. And Son, which, yeah. But yeah, which I found a bit odd. But, but again, Spurs aren't doing that badly either. Spurs are on their, their best best start to a Premier League season ever. And there's this rhetoric about Spurs having a shit time. And I think part of that is driven by Pochettino. Pochettino came out and said he's miserable. Do you read that? No. He said he was on. He said it's his most unhappy time as a as a top. Well, manager. it's all linked to the stadium, though, isn't it? Because he's ah, oh. you know, they he can't spend any money because it's all tied to the stadium. They have to play after NFL games because they haven't got their stadium. Like it's, um, you've got to have some sympathy with him, haven't you? Like he no. wants to be challenging for the title, and they didn't sign a single player. Yeah, but they went in for players. They just didn't bid enough for players. Like I, you can't say that when you're playing the Champions League every second Wednesday... Not for much longer. But you, Well, they might. They might turn their group around. They're not out of it. But you can't say that's your most miserable time as Spurs. As Spurs no, that's true. Like they've, he's got to get some perspective. Spurs are overachieving. He strikes me as that kind of character a bit, though. What, miserable? Yeah. Well, he's quite no, intense. He's another one of these very intense managers. Yeah, OK. Plays chess with himself. Yeah, he's not. He's not like Klopp. He's more of the Mourinho and Conte mold, I think. Yeah, like the CCTV. The um, he's, he's a control training. freak. Yeah. yeah, he's a massive control freak. Um, but I just think he needs some perspective. That that club, ten years ago, it wasn't where Man City was ten years ago. Case. But and they, the fact that they're even considered now, the fact that it, it is considered a top six instead of a top four, and Spurs are included in that party. He, this should be his best time as a Spurs boss, not his worst time. I don't think it's the fans would agree with that, I think. So I hope so. Um, we should move on, Jeff. Do you have any side stories this week? Oh, let me just have a look. What have you got on your page? I've just got one to touch on. We, we went back to the Champions League briefly. I just think we should nod to the Inter Milan player, whose name I can't remember, who um, sneakily led down underneath the wall just as uh, Luis Suarez was taking a free kick for Barcelona and blocked the free kick. Suarez was really clever, went underneath the wall. My favourite bit about this whole thing is Suarez on his face thinks he scored a goal. You see on the replay, as soon as the ball goes underneath the wall, he thinks it's going in the far corner and he has that look on his face like he's about to celebrate and then this guy slides in and blocks it and you're like, brilliant. I agree. I can't believe that's happened. <laughs> I can't believe it's happened. It, it's so rare that a player goes under, apart from Suarez. Has, Suarez has, has a... Which is why I think they did it, because he does have a reputation. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so a few things I loved about this. Number one, I've seen something in football I've never seen before. I think that's great. And to see the the fact that it was so blatant that that's what worked, it's not like that put him off going under. He went under, it went under the wall, and bounced off this bloke's legs. Perfect. The fact he went down late as well, yeah. so Suarez could so he just dived down there. Perfect. And then, did you see the footage of Messi in the crowd applauding? Yeah. With a big grin on his face. Absolutely loved it. Because even Messi has seen something that he doesn't see regularly in football. There's not much he can't do. But And do you think Suarez will now stop doing it or be more aware of it? That's what I'm interested to see, or whether he just still you know, kind of goes back to the well and whether other teams try it. I don't think they will. I don't know. But I think that sometimes... um, I sometimes wonder what would happen if people did think about things differently. 
So, right, hear me out. Okay. So, let's say Suarez... Very philosophical. Yeah, let's say Suarez has taken a free kick. Okay. Now, I've got 10 outfield players and a goalkeeper. So, what if I... What if I get... What if I get all my 10 outfield players to stand on the goal line? I feel like this is like Sabutio. (laughs) No, 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 hear me out, hear me out. What if I get 10 outfield players to stand on the goal line and have my goalkeeper stand in front of them at the edge of the area right near Suarez? Like... Okay. Where the wall would be, but with his arms out, like woohoo, that close, like like he's like he's a but handball he can't be because he has to be at least ten yards away from. Yeah, yeah. Story. So where the wall would be, right? Okay. So where the wall would be, which you know, if he's there, well, it would be just gonna work. So he's just going to stand there. So there's ten players, ten big players, pretty much covering ninety percent of the goal, and then there's the goalkeeper who's got his big arms up, standing there like that in front, right in front of the kick, just just like a, like an AFL, yeah, just I... dancing around like that. Would that work? I've heard you out here. No. Why not? I don't think it'll work, and I don't think we'll ever see it on a football <laughs> pitch. I think you should pick up the guitar, and you should play us into the exciting end feature. I think we are missing the trick here. Heard it here first. <laughs> Jeff's revolutionary tactics segment. Uh, we did terribly... In end feature again last week. That's two weeks in a row where nobody's won. I don't like this very much. Jeff, have you got? Uh, were you able to bet this week after another loss? <laughs> I would like to think that we are an advert for Gamblers Anonymous. I'd, li- I'd like to think that <laughs> why not winning? Well, yeah, because like really, what we've done is we've let everyone come along for the ride. They haven't had to spend their own money. We've been spending our money. We, we we won last season. Last season, by the end of the season, by the way, I was the winner. Um, last season, by the end of the season, we were you would have been hundreds of dollars up if you'd have bet on us every week. So we came in with a bit of arrogance. We're like, yeah, we got this. Started off well. You started off well. Had a big win. We're like, oh, but you know, if you slowly it's gone down, and slowly we've been getting a bit more miserable about our bets. And every week on our WhatsApp group, when they don't come in, we get a bit more sad. <laughs> and. and and actually, then you, like last week, I started doing crazy things like betting on Everton beating Man United at five dollars. Like thinking, oh, you know, as long as I bet big, all I need is one win. Bet big, bet big. This week, I'm thinking, oh, bet bigger, bet bigger. Like, that's what it's like to be a gambler. So what we're doing is, is if you listen to this podcast every week, you are living through without having to invest any of your own money or time in what it's like to Three be a degenerate gambler, to be a loser gambler. Okay, so what have you got? For so us? this week, loser, I've gone big. <laughs> I have gone for Watford to beat Newcastle draw no bet yep. now the logic is sound on this one because Newcastle haven't won a game in 10 uh, and I've gone for Cardiff to Newcastle beat... are at home we should say in that one. it doesn't matter for yeah. Newcastle does it it's probably going to be a draw um, and I've gone for Cardiff to beat Leicester wow. uh, I feel like it is the unknown in that game I think that Cardiff have been okay for the last couple of weeks. I know they got beat four one, but they looked okay. And, I, and I'm just not sure about Leicester at the moment. So um, where their headspace will be at? Yeah, and I and I understandably and, so. I think. Yeah, yeah I and I feel almost bad saying it and putting money on it. So I guess welcome to the the Gamblers Anonymous. What a shitty thing to do. Well, I I, um, I like that you did because it's going to be another Jeff Rodge derby. Um, so that's paying seventy five dollars. No, $7.50. My $10 is paying me 75 bucks. That sounds all right. Thanks. Uh, John, this week, has gone 
to the top of the table. He's gone Liverpool at minus one against Arsenal in the big game. And he's gone the City Machine at minus two against Southampton. Can you put a bet on a cutback or a spadge? <laughs> if you call them up, you probably could. Uh, so that's paying six eighty-seven. So I think that's quite a good bet by uh, by John. Um, I've gone the other way with Leicester. So I, with a lot of hesitation, but uh, it's probably more based on the fact that a Cardiff aren't very good. Um, but I also think that there will. It's a very difficult call to make whether you know Leicester will. There was talk of the game being postponed, but I think now that they're playing it, the players will. You know they'll want to they'll want to want to win for the, for the owner effectively. I think there'll be a lot of emotion there, but if they can harness that emotion, then I think they can they can win. Um, so I've backed Leicester. It's um, also going to be a. Um, a hard game for Cardiff. Like we can't yeah. isolate this to Leicester. True. To be the first away team now, that's a, that's a hard thing for those players. It's going to be such a. Um, it's at Cardiff, so I think next week will be big as well. And it's the first game at Leicester. Yeah. But, so yeah. What, I mean, I agree. Like maybe it's funny. We maybe we're obviously thinking about Leicester a bit, but we both bet on them, and it could go either way. So. Um, and I've also gone for the Man City machine at minus two because I've just got a feeling that I think Mark Hughes Southampton are anonymous and they're going to get steamrolled by the Man City machine. Sorry. And that's paying 582. 582? Yeah. That's good. Southampton are so crap. Yeah, they are. So, so crap. They've got strikers who can score goals. They've got an OK team. Who? Not Shane Long. No, what's his name? Danny Ings. Danny Ings. Danny yeah. Ings is good. But he's... But he, Mark Hughes is, is... I just don't think he's a very good manager. Let's not forget that he nearly got two clubs relegated last year. Like, I don't think anyone's ever done that in a season. Like the, He is shit. I, I hear that he's a terrible man-manager too. I hear he, he doesn't relate to the players. He's not, um, he's not anywhere near their friend. He's isolated. He's that kind of guy that you either buy into his methods or you don't get on with him. Yeah, and I think he's like he's more of like a Slavin Bilic where he's not a great coach but, you know, thinks he can do the managerial stuff and sort of talk the talk he's next player. But Bilic got on with the players. So he's kind of like like Bilic but only the bad bits of Bilic. <laughs> he's just I just don't think he's very good. He was a great player, but I just yeah, as a manager, I, I mean he did he had one season where he did alright at Blackburn, but I just yeah, I and to me that game is at Man City at home, very tough to beat. I I've, I've got a feeling that could get ugly. The the game itself, as in the game of football, will weed people like Mark Hughes out of it because what you just said right there is, is bang on the reason why he gets jobs. Because he goes, a great player, crap manager. Now, football players are the same age as football players were 10 years ago. The difference is the 16, 17, 18-year-old football players now don't remember Mark Hughes playing football. So they don't care whether he was a good player. Like, and, and there's less and less YouTube footage. There's probably more f- f- YouTube footage of the F2 freestylers than there is of Mark Hughes playing football. <laughs> and because of that, these kids don't care. They just care whether he's a good manager or not, which means that football will manage itself well but we talked last year on the bloody managerial merry-go-round like well, these... we haven't seen it this year though unless Big Sam goes to Real Madrid I've got like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, alright well you've been listening to the Football Shed uh, we've gone over time a bit but um, Jeff I enjoyed my date night with you again 
Um, John will be back next week. I won't be here, so uh, it'll be another another date night. Um, but it'd be great to, to hear from anyone. Get in contact with us, footballshedpodcast at gmail.com or contact us on social media. Um, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Jeff and John will be here next week. You'll be sick of me. <laughs> no, oh, well, I won't be because I won't be here. Yeah, you'll be on holiday, and, and, yeah, will you? John, John will be glad to see you. Yeah. yeah. All right, see you, everyone.